Yeah, I chose Sarah, Beth, Crystal, Jackie, and Jenny. That's funny. I I, I chose a Sarah, Beth, Crystal, Jackie, and Jenny. Your friends are hot. Are you gonna do anything? Maybe you should have uglier friends. Who's in your fave five? <laughs> I uh, we showed that this morning. That's one of my all-time favorite commercials. I just I don't know. Every time I watch it, I laugh. But uh, if you haven't caught it on uh, 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 September the. Uh, 14th, we're having what we're calling Fave Five Day. And uh, when you came in, if you didn't notice, there's a prayer card for you to get, and you can write the name of your Fave Five in there. And what are we asking you to do? We're asking you to pray for those people by name, specifically, that they would say yes and come with you on that day or night, and uh, that we would just see God move in an incredible way. Uh, Sue, our receptionist, she got real creative. She went ahead and cut out the pictures of her Fave Five and put them in there as she prays over it. And So I want to encourage you to pick up a card like that and to have it. Then there's the Fave 5 invite card that lists the times of our services on it. And uh, it's for you to go and give it to your friend and actually tell them. Say, you know what? Uh, this is the day that our church is uh, asking people to ask their favorite five people to come to church with them. And you just look at them and say, and you know what? There's nobody I would want in my Fave 5 more than you. Is there any way you'd come with me? And I'll tell you, I think God does something with that. And so I want to encourage you to do it and, and put this in their hand and, and really and pray that they'll come. Uh, I had a couple people come up to me already and go, man, I'm so disappointed about Fave 5. And I said, why? And they go, well, I went ahead and asked them and they're already coming. So does that count? And uh, so we're watching people already show up. But uh, we're just praying God's going to bless us in an amazing way. And so I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Also, uh, for the men tonight, uh, Catherine talked about women's sorority for men's fraternity. Uh, some workbooks are here that uh, we want to encourage you to grab. You don't have to have one of these to be a part of it, but I do think it'll make it more meaningful to you. Uh, it's a, one that was put together by Robert Lewis, and it goes with our study that will start September 14th, and they're going to be outside in the, uh, in the outer area afterwards tonight. I encourage you to grab one of those. All right, uh, turn to the book of Jonah, the book of Jonah. And uh, actually, while you're turning there, I want to pray. Father, we pray and ask that tonight... We would understand how important it is for us not to be stubborn. And uh, I think if all of us got real honest, we'd look and see some areas we just got dug in our heels. And, and even though we love you and even though we trust you, there's this part of our nature that just decides we're not going to throw ourselves completely in sometimes. Or we're not going to move and, and obey a prompting or a movement in the spirit. And uh, Lord, very often when that happens, we, we end up missing out or we put ourselves in a position of being disciplined. And I pray that tonight we would understand by looking at Jonah how wrong it is and, and how much it's just time to let go and let you work. So I pray tonight we would just learn from him and, and not have to learn from the school of hard knocks. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. By the way, I got to tell you, I was so touched by all the baptisms, but for you to say that you baptized your neighbors, oh my gosh, was that incredible. I mean, I love that. So that was awesome. Well, um, uh, a mom was picking up her little eight-year-old after the second day of school, and she looked down at this little boy who was just beaming, and she said, so what'd you learn today? He said, mom, I learned how to make babies. <laughs> she just gasped, not wanting to react, and she goes, really? He goes, yeah, I can make babies now. And she's like, what are the school system coming? She's just about to freak. And he said, yeah, you just take off the Y and add an I-E-S and it makes babies. <laughs> okay, I think that's hilarious. But uh, 
You ever grab hold of the fact of something, and, and I think you probably do, that God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Isaiah tells us that amazing secret when it says in Isaiah 55, verses 6 to 9, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call up in him, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. You know, I think any of us who've walked with the Lord, we've learned that secret. That while every moment we might think we know or have it figured out, if we would just stop and let him just begin to interject his ways and thoughts and moving in our life, it would just rock our world. I like that term. And it would change everything about us and who we are. Jonah, uh, I got to say this, Jonah, uh, he really did believe in God. For all of Jonah's failings, he believed if God called one Jewish man to a city of 120,000 and he walked in and preached a message of repentance that the whole city would turn. Uh, you know, that to me is just mind-boggling. I mean, could you imagine if, if I, I said to you, you know, I think the Lord's calling you to go to Norco and you have three days to win the whole city. Do you honestly, in, in our own realm of thinking, think that that could happen? But there's a reason God chose Jonah. He chose him because he's stubborn. He chose him because not only did he want to reach the city of Nineveh, he wanted to reach a group of sailors on a boat. And we worship a God who cares as much about a whole city as he does about a, a group of sailors. And so what happened is, remember Jonah, when he heard go to Nineveh, because he had a racial hatred for them, he thought, no God, I don't want them to be saved. He turned and ran and he went the other way. And while he's on this boat, these sailors come to know who the true Lord God is. And they actually end up calling on him and they demonstrate amazing compassion but in the end, they have no other choice. And Jonah says, you really don't have any. Throw me overboard. And they throw him in the midst of a fiery, raging storm into the midst of the sea. And the storm immediately stops. And a great fish swallows Jonah. And that's where we pick up. And look what it says in uh, verse 15. So they picked, or chapter 1, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea. And the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Now, I, I just want you to take that in. I, I know that, uh, I, you know, Clarence Darrow tried to say, well, there's no possible way this could happen. And, and uh, I want to tell you, uh, there actually are historical incidences back when whaling was a major exploit in this uh, world in the late 1800s of men falling overboard, being sucked into the stomach of whales and being rescued out and found alive. There's even one particular story that's well documented of a man near Alaska who went into the freezing waters and, and the water, the thermal uh, exposure would have killed him, but a whale swallowed him up. Now no one saw it happen. And they ended up catching this whale, or actually killing this whale, dragging it to shore. And when they were cutting it and, and literally filleting it uh, to, to have the kind of parts they needed for, uh, to make money, they came to the stomach, and the stomach looked especially protruding, and it actually began to shake, and they cut it open, and inside was one, the man they had lost, one of their shipmates. 
And he was alive. He ended up surviving. Now, you need to know a couple of things. One, uh, he literally was so close to death, they weren't sure he was alive when they first cut him open. And it took a period of great recovery for him to finally recover. The other thing is, his skin was bleached from the stomach acid of the whale. It, it, was, it was scalded. It was bleached. It was blistered. And uh, when they first looked at him, they weren't even sure who he was. It had done such an amazingly harsh work upon his outer skin layer. And uh, of course, the one thing they talked about in the historical accounts is he smelled incredibly. Uh, You can imagine being in the stomach of a whale. Uh, The point I want to get across to you is we're not talking about a Geppetto moment. I got to tell you, when I was a little kid and I hit Sunday school once or twice or three times, I remember them actually talking about Jonah in the stomach of the whale. And and they kind of painted it like Geppetto. You remember the story in the Disney story? He's in the whale's stomach sitting on a boat fishing. You know, and and I got to say, if that's the picture you have, that's not what's going on here. Jonah has been brought into the stomach of this fish or whale or whatever it was. And it says that it literally, the stomach wrapped around him tightly. We're going to see that in a second. The acid's beginning to literally digest him. He can't see. He's in total darkness. As a matter of fact, a seaweed is wrapped around his head and he can't get it off. Which tells you something. He is trapped. He can't get his arm up to even here. He's trapped so tightly. And as he begins to breathe, the stomach acid and the water is going into his mouth. And he is drowning. Now, for all of you who are claustrophobic, I don't know if I painted it well, but it ought to make you just gasp with with a horrible attitude to think about what it's like to have this wrapped tightly around your face. And when you go to try to breathe, the stomach of the fish is on you. And you try to twist your head just to get a breath. And when you do, water comes into your mouth and you're gasping and gagging as you're literally being digested. And the seaweed's wrapped around your head. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I got to say, I hate seaweed. Now, I know that's not the biggest deal of all. I think the drowning's bigger. But have you ever been swimming in the ocean and seaweed wraps around you? And you're like, ah, get it off, and you freak out. I don't know if you're like me. I heard a comedian one time say one of the funniest things he ever sees is when people walk through a spider web and they just freak, and you can't see what they're freaking over. (laughs) Anyway, okay, that's different. But but in this moment, he's trapped like that. And, And here's why I think this is important. One is I think it gives us a more realistic picture of what's going on. But then it should make us ask a question. Why did it take him three days and three nights to pray? Uh, Why? Uh, uh, I I don't know about you, but can you imagine someone that's stubborn, he's laying there, say, just kill me, God, I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to ask for help. I'm not going to call out to you. I'm not even going to ask. I'm just going to sit here and I could just digest in here and I can scald in here and I'm not going to pray for three days and three nights. I can tell you it wouldn't be three seconds that I would be praying. What about you? I mean, I can't imagine someone being this amazingly stubborn. And that's what he is. He is just that stubborn. Now, by the way, God is even going to use this to his glory in an amazing way. But it just blows my mind that he would be that amazingly stubborn before the Lord. And I want you to notice two very important words. Then. T-H-E-N. Three days and three nights, he's literally being digested. He's dying. He's close to death. He's probably passed unconscious at least a number of times. We're not sure how many, but we can pick up that he did. It says in chapter 2, verse 1, Then 
Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. Now notice that. Then, three days and three nights, and and then he prays. And notice chapter 2, verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. All he had to do was pray and God would have got him out of it. Now, I don't know if that boggles your mind. The Lord's just going, go ahead and pray. No, I'm not going to. Do you ever have a, uh, you ever been, have children that stubborn? I I know my kids would get that way. I'd finally come to the end and say, all right, I'm going to spank you. I'll never forget the day my oldest son looked at me and said, go ahead. I was like, what? I mean, you're like, what are you doing here? I, I don't know if you heard about the mom one time that told her son, she said, I want you to stop and I want you to go sit down. And he stood there and looked at her and said, no. She looked at a six-year-old in defiance and said, go sit down. And he said, no. And she said, you go sit in that chair. And he looked at her and said, you can't make me. So she grabbed him, lifted him up and sat him in the chair. And he sat there smiling. She said, what are you smiling at? He said, I might be sitting on the outside, but I'm standing on the inside. (laughs) He went to prison. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Stubborn, you know, and it's like, why are you fighting this? Why are you battling it? Something that could be good for you. And uh, you know what is, in this amazing moment, God's just looking at him saying, go ahead and pray and I'll let you out. No, I'm not going to pray. Come on, you're being digested. Not, not going to do it. All you got to do is call on me and be obedient. Not going to let it happen. I, I had rather suffer. I'd rather be in pain. I'd rather be in agony. And I don't know about you, but I just want to have you wrestle through this with me. And I think I'm saying that word a lot lately because I'm wrestling through some things with the Lord. And, and, and you know what? I want you to wrestle through something. Can you imagine anybody that stubborn? And I want to tell you the answer for me. I, I, the answer is yes. Now, I don't know if I reached his stubbornness, and I never want to. But I want to ask you, how many times does God look at you and say, well, go ahead and pray and ask for this, and I'll give it to you. And you're like, I'm going to figure it out somehow. God goes, no, 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 ask me. No, I'm going to charge it. God's going to ask me. No, you know what? I'm going to go borrow. God's going, um, ask me. And No, I'm going to. And you just hang on. Or how many times I, I sit with people, and I'm not trying to at all unload guilt. Let's just talk about the whole idea of what comes if we aren't this way. How many times you're sitting with someone, and you say, you know, why don't you recommit your life to Christ? No, oh, I've done it five times. And, and every time I do, it doesn't work. Well, it's not because God doesn't work, because what happens? You're stubborn, and you go back to those old ways. And God says, Why? I have this life for you. I have this amazing way to live. I want you to grab hold of it. And we're like, nah, I think I'd rather suffer over here. And we watch people suffering. We watch them in a horrible situation. We watch them not be able to embrace it all. I've sat with couples who, who could have the most amazing marriage ever. I, I watched a guy one time who was married to this woman and, and she's beautiful and she's nice and she has tons of friends and everybody loves being with her and he treats her like dirt. Has a horrible marriage. He's so close from having something incredible. If he would just love her and care for her and encourage her and actually open up to her. No, he's not going to do it. And, and why? Because he was raised a certain way and he's stubborn. And he's not going to let go of it. And God's not going to tell me what to do. And people aren't going to tell me what to do. So great. You're going to divorce. Not have a marriage like this. Not have a love like this. Not have a friend like this. Not have kids who... Well, good. You, you got... And God's looking and saying, look what I'm ready to give you. I I watched a 
I, I think I've shared this before, a girl one time who, this wonderful guy was in love with her, handsome and nice and caring and spiritual. And she just said, no, I can't be with him because I can't, I can't stand it when a guy treats me that good. And she went and found. She went and found someone to, 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 to abuse her. And, uh, you know, all these years later, she's, she's just so stubborn. I, uh, I tried to talk to some parents one time who, they were just determined that their daughter could not date this particular guy. And by the way, uh, the, the sad part of it all, it was racial. Uh, they just didn't think it was right that, that she would date a guy who was uh, uh, not of the, the same race. And, and they were just racist, to be honest. And so I tried to talk to him and I said, what are you guys doing? I said, let me, let me tell you about this guy. Straight A student. He's going to be the valedictorian of his class. He's on fire for the Lord. He's there three nights a week. He leads out in prayer. He leads a Bible study at school that's grown to like 50 people. He's a guy of amazing character. He thinks that when you have a girlfriend, you should treat her as special. And he's bought into the whole idea of purity. And their answer was no, but he's not the right race. Well, you know what happened is they just kept on it and kept on it and kept on it. And they broke them up and they made her miserable till they finally got her to date a guy who was the right color. Now the problem was he wasn't a Christian and he wasn't into purity and he was incredibly mean spirit. Well, they got what they wanted, didn't they? And they ruined her life. This guy, by the way, the other guy went on to find an amazing Christian girl. Uh, he got a full ride scholarship to college. And then a business picked him up and gave him a great living. And today he's out doing amazing ministry. And he and his wife actually uh, not only have their own children, but they adopt foster children who uh, are in the midst of having drug problems from their parents. And they love and care for... And the girl today, I, I want to tell you, obviously, she's a mess. And those stubborn, stubborn parents, boy, they... And I look and I think, God, how many times are we that way? Let me be as honest as I can. Some of us do it in little ways and some do us in bigger ways. But there's not one of us here tonight. There's not one of us here tonight. That not one. If the Lord... If you, you and I would obey the Lord, you wouldn't have amazing things happen. You know, the Lord looks at me and says, Chuck, why don't you just pray and not worry? And I feel like, no, I better handle this. And God looks at me and goes, you can't handle it. I never wanted you to handle it. I wanted you just to do what I called you to do and be faithful. And just trust me and pray big prayers and believe big things. And, and I lay in bed at night wrestling through it. And the Lord says, just let it go. Quit being stubborn. You can't change it anyway. And uh, I'm not going to get into details because I don't have permission, but just kind of as a testimony, and I hope somehow it'll make sense without it. Uh, I went into uh, about three or four months ago uh, uh, a list of issues, and I sat with Mike, our executive pastor, and we listed them out. And we said, okay, this needs to be handled, this needs to be handled, this needs to be handled. And I want to tell you what I did is I decided I'm going to handle it. And so I jumped in because I wanted to be a leader and I don't think all of that's wrong. I don't want to be passive. But I start trying to make this happen, make this happen, make this happen. And, and it's just not getting any better. And then, you know what I did? I just finally got kind of fed up with it. And I thought, I just can't seem to bring solution to each of these areas. And so I just started praying. And I said, God, I, I'm just going to start praying as specifically as I can. And I'm going to do something that's just difficult for me. I'm going to release it to you. 
And so what happened is I just began to pray about it. And I'll go ahead and give you one of them. One was some, some relationships in the past with people that, that uh, uh, from the church I came from. And I loved these people to death. And I guess they were so hurt we left. And I couldn't get FaceTime with them. And I couldn't get it to work. And I'm trying to get them to understand that this is God's will that I'm here. And it's good for them. And, good, and I have all these ways. And, and I just quit trying. And I started praying about it. And you know what happened? God calls every single one of those people to call me. I didn't call them, they called me, and they all said, man, we love you, and we care about you, and we miss you. I'm like, what? And I, and I just turned it over to the Lord, and then I ended up in two places with them, and they're hugging on us and loving it, and I'm going, oh, why didn't I just give it up sooner? And, and then, you know what happened? I got, I, this just for me is amazing. Last, last uh, Wednesday, I, I told the morning service, I cut my tip of my thumb off, and that was kind of interesting. And uh, Thursday, I walk into the office a little mangled and having to more than ever just relax. And the last of my issues just went away. And I called Pam and I said, you know what? Every single thing I was concerned about has all been successfully solved because I quit trying to do it and I trusted God in prayer and just tried to be faithful. And I said, Pam, I got to be honest, it's kind of weird. I'm sitting here right now, I can't think of one thing to worry about, which is really a problem that I'm even sitting here trying to think of something to worry about. Doesn't that tell you there's a demented side here somewhere? And I really was going, okay, there's got to be something I'm forgetting. I ought to work. I really was so attached to it. And I know the Lord was saying, wow, you're stubborn. And uh, Jonah was stubborn. And, 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 and what I'm trying to say, and I hope I'm saying it well, is God looks at you and me and says, just trust me with your life. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy, but just trust me. And if you trust me, and, and you let me, and you start doing what I've asked you to do. Now, what is God asking us to do? He's asking us to spend quality time with him in prayer. Just do that. And ask me the, for victory. And spend time with me. God's asking me to be available to witness to people and share Christ. And, and I just need to do that. And God's asking me to love those who, who are my, my enemies. And just go show love to them. And, and he says, trust and see what's going to happen with that. And God's saying... Start living on only what you have to live on. Quit living beyond your means and start being content. And, and God's asking for these amazing changes to come. But every time I do, it just creates this amazing life. And, and the problem with Jonah, he's stuck in the belly of a fish or a whale for three days, stubborn. And God says, would you pray? And he prays and God gives deliverance. And, and I got to tell you that I'm not sure how that works out in our, your life, but I promise you it works. And notice what it says, chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out in my distress to the Lord and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. Now, the picture he's painting here is he felt like he was in hell. He said, I feel like I'm in the depths of hell. And I cried to God and it says, you heard my voice. He goes, God heard. He waited for three days, but he said, now that I've prayed, I know he's heard. Before anything's ever happened, he, he deep down knows there's something going on. Verse 3, for you have cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, and all your breakers and billows passed over me. You know what that tells you is he could hear it. To me, I, I, I don't know, I, I probably am not getting it across, but I got to be honest, when I read this and really read it and understand it, it freaks me out. Here's a guy who's in total darkness, his eyes are scalded, his skin is scalded, his arms are trapped and he can't move, seaweed around his head, and he can hear the ocean over him, and he knows where, it just, oh, it's just a, like a horror movie, man, Stephen King would have fun with this. Uh, chapter 2, verse 4, so I said, 
I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars were around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with my voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto dry ground. Now I, again, if we're going to get the picture, just could you imagine that? I don't know if anyone got to watch. All of a sudden this fish comes up and, uh, and out comes the sky and the fish takes off. I just think that's a trip. Okay, so, so in this moment, God, God answers his prayer. And, and God catches in the moment the amazing thing. And Jonah begins to have, and Jonah has a man of faith because he believes if I go to Nineveh, they'll repent. And, and he believes if I pray to God, he's going to save me. And even then, I know he's going to take me to heaven. And, and he has this amazing trust in God. And when he begins to manifest it, and he says, God, everybody else has been, has, has, doesn't have a faithfulness to you, but now I'm going to have that. I'll sacrifice. I'll do whatever. And God goes, you're ready. Then God delivers him. And chapter 3, verse 1 says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying now I, I just think you gotta stop I gotta stop and look at that the second time saying God is the God of second chances by the way God is the God of third chances and fourth chances uh, I know this and, and it's you know when, when Peter looked at Jesus and said how many times would I have to forgive him seven times because a lot of the rabbis taught, you know what, if someone has sinned against you, you have to forgive them. But after the seventh time, that's it. Why? That was a perfection of their being evil and sinful. You don't have to forgive them anymore. And Jesus said seven times. Now, 70 times seven. And by the way, you and I already know, the Lord doesn't really mean 490. You're like, okay, I've got the countdown going, you know. You know what, what, what if Jesus is asking you to forgive 70 times seven, let me ask you, doesn't it just make sense he does? You know, you say, God, I just will never do this again. And he goes, oh, yeah, you will. But I'm going to forgive you. And you go do it again. You go, oh, I can't believe I did it again. I already asked for forgiveness for that once. Should I do it again? And the Lord goes, yeah. And, and you're like, but, but I said I'd never do it again. And you do it again. And then you finally, you know, don't quit being stubborn. You go, okay, go, Lord, forgive me. He goes, I'll forgive you. you. Go, Lord, this time I promise I'll never do it again. He goes, oh, yeah, you will. And, and you do it again. Will he ever stop forgiving? No. And he's a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. And, and, and that's one thing we've got to grab hold of. Uh, I've asked our staff to buy into some core values that I really believe ought to resonate all throughout Crossroads. Let me give you one of them. Restoration and redemption's always the goal. Always the goal. Uh, I heard it said one time, and I think it's too often true, that Christians shoot their wounded. You know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, we find someone who's not a Christian and they've messed up totally and we're like, oh, come to God, he'll love you. And then one of us messes up. I hope we'd say the same thing. Come to God, he'll love you. And you go, well, you know, wait a minute. We should know better. Well, maybe we should know better, but I want to tell you something. I know this, God looks at you as a child and, and, and a good father just doesn't quit on his kids. And 
Brothers and sisters shouldn't quit on their kids. And we don't want to be like the prodigal's brother's brother, uh, the prodigal son's brother, who stood outside and said, he came back and you're in there dancing and having a party. I'm not going in and celebrating his return. By the way, who was inside dancing? The father was. And he goes, come on in and celebrate. Be glad they're back. You know, maybe they hurt you, maybe, but just love and return. And restoration and redemption is always the goal. And you, when you mess up or I mess up, guess what? God looks at you and says, okay, let's start over again. Let's just do it again. You might say, but you know, I failed pretty bad. And God says, well, let's just do it again. And what does he do to Jonah? He doesn't say, well, you messed up so bad. Now you've lost your calling. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Peter needed a second chance and to be restored. In Mark 16, 7, it's so interesting, after Peter is denied Jesus three times, it says that the angel appeared, and he says to Mary, he says, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he has told you. Now, why do you, you already know why he said and Peter. Because if Mary had run in and said, the Lord has risen, and he wants you to gather together, Peter would have said, not me, I denied him. But he says, I want you to go to all the disciples, and especially Peter, that the Lord wants to see him. And and then we have that famous scene that we read of in John 21, where Jesus has appeared on the seashore, and and Peter and James and John are out in the boat, and and, and he says, says, throw the net on the other side, because they hadn't caught anything. And they throw it on the other side, and it fills with fish. And John goes, it's the Lord. And Peter dives into the water to swim to him, because he can't wait to be there. And it's his first encounter, and he looks at Jesus, and Jesus has made breakfast. And and I love the, the old story, how does Jesus make breakfast? He just breakfast and it was there and uh, and so he sits with, I just think that's funny too and he sits with them and and talks and then he looks at Peter and he says uh, Peter Simon son of Jonah do, do you love me and Peter says Lord you know I love you now there is a play on words he says do you agape love me with an unconditional love and Peter looks back and says Lord I have this amazing affectionate love for you and he said well then feed my sheep and then he says Simon do you, do you really love me more than these and Peter says, Lord, you know all things. You know I, and he goes, then I want you to feed the sheep. And then he says again, Simon, do you really, really even have this affectionate phileo love for me? And it says, Peter's grieved in his heart that the Lord would ask three times. And, and he goes, Lord, you know all things. And uh, he says, Peter, you're back. You just denied me three times. Now I've given you three times to confess love. And by the way, he lets Peter know I'm not questioning you. I'm telling you something special. But you were a little boy. You used to dress yourself and go wherever you chose to go. But now, now that you're older, you're, you're going to have someone else dress you, me. And I'm going to take you to a place you don't wish to go. Peter later on would say, and the Lord in that moment made it very clear to me the death I would die. He actually didn't just say you're going to die for me. He actually sat and said, let me tell you what's waiting for you in Rome. You're not going to deny me in Rome, and you're going to die. And, and he, if it's true, he, the Lord explained very clearly, they're going to cru- ask to crucify you, and you're going to look at them and say, I, I couldn't bear to be crucified the way the Lord was. Can I do it upside down? And they're going to let you. And uh, then that day came to go to Rome, and Peter went to Rome. He didn't head the other way. He, now, I don't know about you. I think it's an amazing gift that God hasn't told you and I exactly how and when we'll die. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad you're not laying in bed tonight and woke up? And the Lord says, by the way, next Thursday, let me tell you how you're going to die. 
And you're like, what? It'll be really gruesome, by the way. Uh, oh, you know, Chuck, you'll be standing in the kitchen with a butter knife. And, no, and, uh, you know, and, and the Lord, aren't you glad the Lord didn't tell you that? But Peter, he did. And he said, I want you to know, I trust you with this so much that you're not going to run anymore. And he restores Peter. Uh, by the way, the idea that he would restore Peter was probably a big deal to Mark because Mark's the only one who specifically centers in on and tell Peter because Mark needed to be restored. He had gone with Paul and Barnabas on a mission trip and he ends up turning and running away and then later on Barnabas says, look, come, let's bring Mark with us and Paul says, no, I'll never go anywhere else with him and it says a sharp disagreement and dissension rose between Paul and Barnabas so much that Barnabas said, I've just got to hang on to this young guy even if he failed and I'm going to take him with me and they end up parting company and heading the other way. And then in Acts 12, 25, it says this, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when, when they had fulfilled their mission, uh, taking along with them John, whom they also called Mark. It says that, that they began to understand more and more what's going on with this. In Acts 15, it says, And Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along with them, but Paul kept insisting they should not take him along. The one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them in the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and they sailed away to Cyprus. And it just broke up a, an amazing partnership. Of course, God used that. Now more people are hearing. But uh, Mark needed to be restored. Barnabas knew it. Later on, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 11 would say, Only Luke is with me. But pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for my service. He said, I, I realize now, I realize what's going on. Peter would say that Mark was now my son. And Mark needed to be restored. And when he was restored, he grew up and he became incredibly great. And God is a God of second chances. He recommissions, he recalls, he never lets go. And we need to understand that for each of us. And, and for those of who have fallen, God's great desire is that. Uh, when I was uh, in high school... I was attending the First Baptist Church of Corona. I had become a Christian through a, a retreat that Crossroads had put on. And my grandmother and my, my mom and, were attending First Baptist Church. So I went down with them. And uh, God began to, to use me and another friend. And, and we had a youth group of about 10 or 15. And we began to go out and share our faith at Corona High School. And we started seeing it grow. And I'll never forget one night. We're sitting in the evening service. And out walked the head of the deacons, which is kind of our version of the elders. And he said, we've been praying about something and we want to make a proclamation tonight. And they stood up and said, we believe that God has called Chuck and Tom into the ministry. And they actually read a, a proclamation and we're, I'm sitting there going, what? And, and I got to say, I was just blown away. And they asked me to come forward and gave it to me and gave one to Tom and said, you guys pray and see if God's calling you. And I stood there thinking, whoa. And I just felt honored and humbled and amazed and shocked. And I went home and I got out my Bible and I started reading it. And I, I thought, Lord, you know what? Is this from you? And I spent some days praying about it. And I was convinced that God called me into the ministry. And uh, I pursued that and, and, and prayed about it and, and, and just wanted it so desperately after that. And then, I'll never forget, I was driving down the street. And kind of the short story is I saw this amazingly evil, wicked woman named Pam. She wasn't a Christian. And uh, I got involved with her and I fell away. And, 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 you know, I won't get into it all tonight. Some of you know the story. And I started living like anything but a Christian. Uh, it's interesting. Pam wasn't a Christian, but she would tell you one of the reasons she fell in love with me is my faith in God. And then that just went away. 
And uh, I hurt her badly, and I, I, I just became, I started partying again, started messing up. I was, I was the first, no one would guess I was a Christian. And uh, then our life just fell apart. And when it fell apart, it fell hard. And uh, Pam was just wounded. I was hurting. And uh, I ended up realizing the person I loved the most, the person I had put in front of God, I had just literally wrecked them on the inside so that Pam was almost a shell of who she used to be because of me. And uh, I thought, I can't leave her like this. And we decided we wanted to be married and we ended up coming to Crossroads. And uh, Tim Coop just loved us and loved us and loved us. And I'll never forget, I, I sat there one day on a Sunday morning and the invitation was given and I thought, I'm going. And I rushed forward. And Pam didn't know what, I, she, I just left her there. And uh, I went in the back room and Don Olsby was the youth pastor and he began to talk with me about what it meant to recommit my life. And, and I said, you know, I got to be baptized again. And, and now I don't know actually whether I needed to, but at that moment I really needed, I just needed a, a start over. And I realized God's going to accept me back and God's going to take me. And, 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 and I'll never forget that day. It just, oh man, it felt so good to walk in with all this guilt and walk out knowing that no matter how horrible I had been, God had cleansed me and set me free. A few weeks later, Pam ends up committing her life to Christ, and, and God really just began a healing process in her that was incredible. But I got to tell you something. I thought because of how I had acted and who I had been that God would never, ever want me in the ministry again. And I really believed that. I, I thought, okay, I had this calling and it's gone. Uh, but what happened is the Lord began to work a circumstance out, and and, and what, our youth pastor got sick and they needed someone to go to camp. And Pam and I, they couldn't find anybody else. So they asked, can you guys possibly go? And we were getting ready to go to the University of California in Humboldt to study accounting, uh, accounting to be accountants, which, you know, I just am so glad God didn't let us do that. <laughs> if you knew how I handle checkbooks, you'd be glad too. And, uh, and we went to this camp and God spoke in my heart again. And I thought, you got to be kidding, Lord. I thought I was out. I thought there's no way. And I didn't hear a voice on this one, but I just knew that God looked at me and said, Chuck, I, I washed you clean. I don't see you as that person that you think you are. And my calling on you is there. And I, I want to tell you something. I am not recommending the pathway I took at all but I believe with all my heart that if anything made me the pastor I am today, it's what I went through. Because he who has forgiven much loves much. And while I loved God in the beginning, I got to tell you, I love him more now than ever because he forgave me, he redeemed me, and he's restored me. And he had to do it twice. And actually, he's had to do it countless times, right? There's so many times I sit back there praying, saying, Lord, I'm not worthy. And uh, he says, well, in the blood of Christ, you are. And I walk out here and I look at you and I think, what an amazing church uh, you are. And I think I'm not worthy. And I think that God's made you a gift to me. And uh, God is a God of second chances. And that's why when I've sometimes sat down with someone back here in the living room and, 
And they'll look at me and say, I just can't bear to tell you what I've done. I'll look at them and say, well, I got to be honest. I'd really be surprised if you could top my sin. And it's not a competition. But I can tell you what neither of us can top. We can't top God's grace. And there's no sin. Wow. And um, there's no sin that you can commit that's more powerful than the blood of Jesus Christ to cleanse it. Not one. And uh, you know what? We need to share that message and we, we need to do this, ready? We need to embrace it. And sometimes I think we get a little stubborn and act like, no, I've got to pay. I've got to pay. And God's going, no, Jesus paid. So you don't have to. And uh, sometimes we go, well, you know, I got to get it all right first. And the Lord's going, no. Just put your hand in mine and let's walk through this together and I'll get it right for you. And when we understand that, I think we've understood this amazing grace and love of a God who looked at and said, I need someone to send to Nineveh. I'm going to choose Jonah. And the angels go, he'll run. And God goes, good. And you know what? Some sailors will get saved. And I'm going to bleach him in the belly of a fish. And I'm going to have the fish spit him out. And the Ninevites worship a big fish anyway. I think they probably saw it. And he's going to walk into their town, bleached white, smelling like a fish. He'll be more effective than ever. Isn't that right? And God looks at you and me and says, and you go, I've got failure. And God goes, good, now I'm ready to use you. I've had sin. And God goes, you bet, now I'll use you. And I'm going to comfort you first. And you know what it says in 2 Corinthians? Then you and I are going to go out and comfort people with the comfort with which we were comforted by God. And that's what God wants to do. And uh, tonight, if you, for some reason, have been hanging on to something, I want to encourage you to let it go. And let God work. Tonight, if you've been holding off on everything God has for you, this amazing life where he leads and guides and works, I'm going to say to you tonight, would you pray this prayer? Would you say, God, no more holding back. I want 100% commitment. I, I'm ready no matter what it takes, what it, what it means. And tonight, if you've never, ever let Jesus just love you, if you've never embraced him before, I'm going to ask you in the midst of our prayer time to, to open up to him and let him embrace you. And if you at one time we're right with God, but tonight you're not connected to him. I want to tell you as someone who needed to do this, come home and let, let him take you home with no holds barred, just loving you completely. And, and you just need to pray that prayer again and just say, God, I want to be back. I remember I rushed down the aisle to get in that back room and pray it, but we'll let you pray it while you're right where you're sitting. Let's pray. Father, I ask and pray that you would just cause each of us to understand how valuable we are to you, how much we matter to you, how much you love us. And I pray that we would all understand that it's, it's beyond what we do or who we've been or what we do sometimes. That your love is so high and so wide and so deep and so, so powerful, Lord, that it just is available. And that we should never stand apart from you. We should rush to you. And Lord, I want to pray tonight that you would help us to not only embrace the message for ourselves, but to give it to others. And Lord, if there's somebody here tonight who's messed up, I pray that they would know they're in a room of people who have to varying degrees. But we're all loved. And Lord, we want to share that. I ask God that your Holy Spirit come in this room tonight. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would literally move and touch and prompt each of us, Lord, to move ourselves into even a higher level of connection and intimacy with you. 
And I pray that if tonight there's someone here who needs to know you for the first time. I pray, Lord God, that you would stir in their heart right now and they would want to know you. I pray, Lord, if there's someone here who used to have this amazing relationship with you, but they're not having it tonight, I pray that they would want to recommit. But I pray that there's not a person here who would ever hold back from letting you love them. I want to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you pray for the people tonight who need to commit their life to him or recommit? But tonight, if you... If you're ready to say yes to Jesus and commit your life to him, or if you need to recommit your life to him, I'm going to lead a prayer right now and ask you to pray it right where you're sitting. And if God is stirring in your heart, or if you want this, I'm going to ask you, right where you're sitting, just to pray this prayer with me. And if you would do that, if tonight's the night you'd pray that prayer, I'm going to ask that you'd let me know you're going to pray it with me by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me, and then you can put it down. Right now, is there anyone God's touching? This is your moment. This is your time. Praise God, man. That is so awesome. Praise the Lord. And praise God for you and for you over here. Praise God for each of you. Wow, praise the Lord. Right here, praise the Lord. That is awesome. For each one of you. God, I know he's so excited over you and loves you. Let me take a second more. Anybody else I haven't seen yet? Just look. Wow, praise the Lord. That's awesome. Wow, praise God. And right over here for you and then up there for you too. Wow. Wow. Praise God for each one of you. So all of you that God's stirring in, let's just pray this prayer together. Just whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know you died on the cross for me. And you died to forgive me of all my sins. And to heal me of my hurts and pains. And to make me new and alive so I say yes I want this and I want to be with you so I open my heart to you please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you've always created me to be and to live the life that you have for me to live draw me close close to you Lord that I might know you better and better. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, praise God for all of you who prayed that prayer. Praise the Lord. Man. Tonight, if you prayed the prayer, I'm going to ask you to do something. And uh, let me tell you what I'm going to ask you to do and why. Tonight, if you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask that when we stand to sing that you make your way to an aisle and come down here no matter where you are in the building come down here and let me meet you and then I'm going to ask you to head to this living room over here and, and we want to have some people sit with you for a moment we want to give you a Bible we want to give you some other materials that will help you walk out of this building with some very intentional steps that you can take to grow closer to God but we also want to get your name so we can have people praying over you all this week by name asking God in this first week of your commitment to really watch over you and reveal himself to you and we will know that that kind of prayer works so that's what I'm going to ask you to do. Let me tell you why. In the Bible, and it really is true, every time anybody had a private encounter with God like you just had, they were always told to go and show it. God has made us so that when we step out and make what we've just done privately public, it deepens our commitment. Now I do want to tell you, I understand that it's a little bit scary. And it's even tough because this is going to happen. As you step out, it's going to start to get emotional. 
But the emotion's good, and it allows you to connect with God in a deeper way. You're going to sense your faith deepening. You're going to sense your, your encounter with Him uh, cementing in in a powerful way. And so that's why we're going to ask you to come. So I know it might seem scary, but when we stand, I'm going to ask you right away, step out and come. By the way, if you want to grab someone and say, look, I made a decision, come with me and support me, you can. But no matter what, please come. Also, if you would like to be baptized into Christ by your choice in a conscious worship experience with Him, where you just experience the Lord in an amazing way, I also want to ask you to come and set a time to do that right now. But most of all, if you prayed the prayer, when we stand, please step out.